You're listening to El Ninos, the Tornado Hunters Podcast. Grab a cerveza and turn up those speakers. Yawn, <laughs> man! Whoa! Good driving, Ricky. Oh, there's vehicles underneath it. Oh! It's taking up potholes. All right, welcome to El Nino's, the Tornado Hunters podcast. On this episode, we welcome our special guest, Tommy Lemaire. He is a professional drift racer. That's right. He drives cars and tries to come within inches of hitting a wall. The closer he gets to the wall without hitting it, the better. And that's uh, something that we think uh, pretty highly of here at the Tornado Hunters because we've (laughs) always said, hey, we want to get as close to that tornado without actually hitting the wall. So we're really excited to get a chance to talk to Tommy Lemaire uh, tonight. Uh, just a reminder before we get into it, um, please check out our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash El Ninos. And you can become part of our squad and you can uh, join the conversation. You can get a chance to uh, talk to our guests during breaks and uh, you'll really enjoy uh, some of the uh, benefits and some of the exclusive content at our Patreon page. So check it out, patreon.com slash El Ninos. And uh, while we're at it, let's also mention that uh, you should be checking out Stormfront Freaks Podcast Network on uh, really any podcast app, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcast, you can... Uh, subscribe or follow Stormfront Freaks Podcast Network. You'll get El Ninos on one week and you'll get Stormfront Freaks on the alternating week. So let's get going. Nick, we want to talk about the weather. Nick the body, tell us about what's been happening in the weather over the last couple of weeks. Well, it's been hot. Super hot. Wow. Um, now, the exception to that was the fires that have, again, rebooted out in BC there. So last week on Monday, it was supposed to be like 37 degrees Celsius, which is like 90-something on the old um, freedom unit scale there. And uh, it didn't even get nowhere near that because the smoke drifted in and it right. pushed all that heat out. Um, and so it only got to about 22 or 24 that day. But then ever since then, it's just been getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And then today it was super hot again, like um, and humid, too. And so um, that thankfully led itself to some local storms here yesterday with uh, very little in terms of capping going on. Uh, the heat is still on across the western United States. Record temperatures there. Last time we were on. Uh, I think we talked about Death Valley and, you know, it getting to 130 some odd degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, it's still pretty hot down there. Arizona, Utah, all these places, record drought, record heat. Um, and then we got some wild weather uh, kicking up in uh, sort of the northern uh, Midwestern United States, uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin area, um, ripe for some wild storms uh, over the last week or so. And I haven't checked today, but um, there were probably some uh, storm reports I should be looking at. Um, In right Wisconsin. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and let's not forget, too, that uh, probably the big story this week in the world of weather is going to come out of uh, the Pacific, uh, the Western Pacific and uh uh, the typhoons, there's going to be a typhoon uh, heading towards Japan and the Olympics uh, right now, which is actually already causing uh, some problems. There was a number of events canceled uh, today due to the heat, and uh, they're going to be getting this typhoon rolling in. So, yeah, lots going on in the world of weather. And, uh, I mean, I guess that's one of the cool things about being weather nerds is that there's always something to talk about. Yeah, and it looks like that 10% kiss of death may have happened today. Eh? Oh, is that right? <laughs> there is not a single storm report other than some one and a half inch hail. 
<laughs> few wind gusts, um, but no measured wind gusts other than at 68 miles per hour is the max measured wind gust. So that SBC um, 10% kiss of death. They had a huge hatched area there for wind too, didn't they? Like 45%, like yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. happening. So did you say 68 mile per hour wind gust? Yeah, that's the highest measured wind gust today. Do you drive faster than that, Tommy, or 68 top top speed? Uh, I go a little bit faster than that. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, listen, uh, let's let's listen. Let's just get right into our our guests. Let's get right into our conversation with our guests. You know, uh, we've had some wild guests on the show, but Tommy Lemaire may be one of the craziest. Uh, You know, Tommy's job, it's racing cars in drifting. His job is literally sending his car sideways as fast as as he can. From Quebec, uh, Canada, of course, Tommy is 23 years old and he's been racing go-karts and cars all his life, achieving some amazing accolades and awards, including DMCC Pro Champion. So this is the Drifting Championship of Canada and he's won this twice. This means Tommy is literally the best in Canada for drifting cars. Tommy is pretty much Vin Diesel from Fast and Furious. Tommy, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us. I gotta tell you, as I look at your content, I watch your videos. It's amazing stuff, as you can see. Uh, drifting cars. How, you've been doing this since you're seven years old? Yeah, uh, I started in karting. And yep. I did karting uh, until uh, 14 years old. And after I switched for cars, yeah. So I, when, when you say karting, like, do, do kart racers get pissed off when people say go-karts? Oh, you're a go-kart racer, yeah? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of different uh, stuff. <laughs> so when people uh, say, oh, you're a go-kart driver, we're like, okay, no, let me explain to you what is the difference between go-kart and karting. <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically it was karting. And uh, at 14 years old, I, I, I won the Canadian Championship twice. So uh, with my, my dad, because my dad always uh, always came at the, at the racetrack with me, we're like, okay, we probably need to change so uh, we're gonna see what we have what we can do in uh, in road racing so uh i did a little bit of road racing but as soon as i i i, I hit uh, 16 years old i was like okay i saw like uh, uh, fast and furious uh, tokyo drift and i saw like the people at the racetrack drifting and was like okay that's what i'm gonna do so i started drifting like full time at 16 years uh, 16 years old and uh, since that day I, I never stopped and now i i do it at the the highest level I can do. So I got to ask you, you know, um, most people watching what you're doing, two main things I, think I feel come to mind. One, is it scary? And how do you control what you're doing? I think drifting is like, there's rally and drifting is like the two, like mo- uh, most scary, uh, like a uh, motorsport sport that we can uh, have because we're always sideways. There's a lot of smoke. We're super close to uh, the other cars and to the wall. So it's, it's impressive, but uh, I really like this sport because we can show all the skills that we have in like 35 seconds or like one minute in, on the track. When you do road racing, you have to uh, help your strategy and it's like one hour race. And even when I was at 15 years old, I did endurances race. So it was seven, seven hours and 14 hours. So it was like super long. So it was fun. Like a lot of seat time, but when you're in drifting, you have one minute to show all you can do. So that's what I like about this sport. It's it's kind of dangerous and it's kind of like a good show for the, the people that are looking. How much of it is mental and how much of drifting is physical, like actual hand-eye coordination? Uh, well, even, even if, well, if you're in drifting or road racing or karting, I will say that mentally it's like super, super important. If you're the best driver in the world, but you don't have the, like the, the, the good minding, you're going to lose for sure, especially in drifting. Cause as I said, it's like one minute, uh, ride that you have to do. So if you're, you're not strong enough mentally, you're going to fail for sure. So that's what happened in the highest level. So when I go in the US, that's what separate the champion from the other guys. So when we do the practice, everybody's super good. Everybody's super close to the wall. But as soon as we start the real competition with the judge, the judge and all the people in the, in the stands, we start to see who, who is 
breaking because of the stress and who is going like even better and better during the during the day. Tommy, uh, just to get on top of that about the physical part, I drive a 2006 Toyota Yaris and I find that when I'm um, using the clutch kick technique to drift, I find <laughs> that my left foot gets um, real sore sometimes. So I'm wondering if there's any special equipment that go on your feet. Um, well, for the feet, we only have like racing shoes, so it's super thin. So we have the, the good feeling for the pedal, but, uh, no, we, we don't have anything like that, but yeah, like the clutch is super hard, super hard. And for the brakes, we don't have the, the, like the brake booster that every normal car has. So we have to push super hard on the brakes too. So it's kind of physique, but also as uh, we talked, uh, uh, earlier, it's super hot in the car. So when you're in the car, you, you have to stay focused. You have to hydrate yourself a lot because you're going to lose your, um, your focus. And that's again, what's going to change the, the best from the other drivers. So we, we have to be uh, in good shape. So as you can see, I'm not super, super big. I have the kind of uh, formula one uh, shape, uh, drivers. And I think that that helps me a lot during the race, the, the race weekend. My wife asked me, Tommy, when I told her that you were a pro, a Formula Drift Pro racer, and she looked at me like, what the hell is Formula Drift Pro racing? And so I kind of described it to her as uh, the sheer terror of rally driving combined with like ballroom dancing. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. For anybody who doesn't know about drift racing, how would you describe like what what's a day look like? What does a race look like? So it's the only motorsport that you don't win by being the first at the at the finish line. So Formula One or karting or all that kind of stuff, you have to finish first and you win the race. In drifting, it's it's judge. So you have three different judge that uh, judge you on specific reasons. So the first one is the speed, uh, the position on the track. So if you're super close to the wall, you have the angle. So if you have more angle, you're going to get more points and go better on the, uh, with your score. And also the other thing is the proximity. So when you race, you have two drivers, the leader and the chaser. So you, you do one chase and one lead. And when you do the lead, you want to be perfect. So super close to the wall, super fast, big smoke. And when you're the second driver, so the chaser, you want to uh, be as, as close as possible to the leader and do the same line that he does on the track. So that's that's what uh, what, that's what um, makes you win or lose. And when you win a battle, you go uh, to the next battle until you go in the final. And uh, when you win the final, uh, that means you you're the best and you won the race. <laughs> okay. So which is more fun for you being the chaser or being the leader? Well, more fun. I will say the chaser, but, um, also when you're the chaser, it's way more difficult because you have to mimic the same, uh, angle and the same position as the guy in front of you. And sometimes they do some mistakes. So it's kind of hard for you to adapt your driving, but that's what gives you the, the like more uh, like adrenaline and more uh, like uh, like the good feeling when I'm behind the, the steering wheel is when I'm the chaser. When you're the leader, you have to be super relaxed, focused on your line, and it's more like a routine than when you're the chaser. Yeah, that's very cool. Hey, listen, when I when I'm watching, you know, like uh, uh, Formula One or even from time to time NASCAR. Uh, stock car stuff one of my favorite moments is when like one driver pisses off another driver and there's a like some sort of accident and then like the one driver gets out and he throws his helmet at the other guy's car you know the, have you ever had any of those moments where you're just like this guy just ruined me like you know accidents that kind of thing we what i like about drifting is People are super, uh, super uh, kind and they love to be at the racetrack. So we don't see that often, like people throwing their helmets and all that <laughs> stuff. But we do see a lot of contacts. And that's right. sometimes what the crowds want to see, like contacts with the wall or contact with the other drivers. So it's not uh, like a, it's not something special to have a tire marks on your door 
when you when you do the racing. So like I, I might be wrong when I say this too, but like for uh, Formula One stock, you know, car racing, like all those engines, all the specs, everything's roughly the same. Is that the same with your? Uh, like all the drift cars are spec'd out to be the exactly same, same horsepower, same everything. Or is there little tweaks that you can kind of do? Yeah, that's also something I like about drifting is you can have basically what you want. So you 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 can have a, as soon as it's a rear-wheel drive car, so you, you like a Mustang, a Corvette, a, a Mieta, or you know when it's like a sport car, rear-wheel drive, this is good. But you can have. Uh, 600 horsepower or 1000 horsepower and you still can be competitive and you're you're also legal so that's something i really like about drifting you can build your own car to your uh, like your image and what you like about the car and after that you go on a track and you try to do your best with your own car so that's something i really like about it because uh, when i wasn't karting or other stuff like that you 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 always have to push uh, your uh, your uh, engine builder and all that stuff to to find the one horsepower more just to make sure you can win the race in drifting even if you have uh, 300, uh, 300 horsepower or less you still can win the race so that's something i really like about the sport everybody is different but everybody wants to do the the same and prove their themselves on the track so, for example, like uh, one of my all-time favorite old-school movies was, was Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's Robin's racing kind of thing. But, like, he had no idea about engine or any of that kind of stuff. Like, he would just be like, hey, I feel like the back end slipping, like, during the movie. Uh, are you an engine, like, you a car, like a mechanic kind of guy, too? Or are you just strictly a driver and you just give your input? If you want to be a good driver and a, like a, a champion in that's in any kind of uh, motorsport, you really have to be good uh, also as a mechanic. Because uh, in karting, uh, when I was in karting uh, younger, to win the championship, I had to feel everything when I was driving. But to feel everything, you have to know your kart and your mechanic. So you have to understand how the mechanics works and when you know how to do this you can tell your your mechanic uh, uh, worker and they're going to adapt the the cart or the cars for yourself so it's very important to be good in mechanic because if you don't know what happens with your car you can tell your your uh, your friends in the pit what to do what to modify what to change so you're probably never going to improve yourself uh tommy uh austin uh Mata? yeah he's a weird looking dude hey <laughs> well he's a good driver and i know him since that uh this year because of the formula drift in the u.s he uh you got to catch him hey are you gonna do it or what yeah i think for now he's uh, standing just in front of me in the championship so uh, i really have to beat his ass to, <laughs> and uh, show uh, the people that i can uh, be better than him <laughs> you're down you're down 22 points to him uh currently okay. in third place so uh how many like uh i don't i don't know a lot about uh i like i said i drive a 2006 toyota yaris and that's about the extent of my car knowledge so tell me a little bit about how these points are awarded and um and uh, how many points are up for grabs is it a per race thing are certain races rated weighted differently are there like grand slams like we've got in sports that are more my speed like golf and tennis yeah so uh for the championship uh, if you finish first you have a, a example a 100 points if you finish second you have 88 points uh and like that's like that every time but for the qualification during the the race weekend uh it's uh based on 100 points with the judges and they give you points, as I said, on the speed angle, uh, uh, the, like the wow effect, the uh, position on the, on the track. And when you do a perfect qualification, you have, example, 100 points. And this makes you, example, first. If you're not very, if you do a mistakes and you go, example, last, well, you qualify the 32 points and you, you're like uh, uh, the last in the race, you start in top 32 with the uh, the first one so the first go against the last in top 32 and I, I, after the like you, you see what i mean the second with the, yeah, so uh, there's, the, a, the there's last. a there's a seating then like you would do in you know playoff hockey or whatever yeah exactly exactly and at the end of the race the 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 guy who win the race uh gets 100 points 
So that's why now I think I have uh, like one uh, fourth position and one sixth position. So that's why I'm, I'm standing fourth in the championship because I, I'm kind of um, uh, like constant in my uh, finishes. But, but I just need like the podium in the US to, to be a bit better than the, than the, the three in front of me. So how many races are in a season, Tommy? Uh, in the Prospect Championship, we have four races in the U.S. Uh, and in the Canada, we have also four races. So I do a, a total of eight races. And that's kind of all throughout summer? Or is it like spring, summer, fall, or just? Yeah, it's uh, summer, fall. Yeah, so the last race is in uh, California, uh, Irwindale, uh, in uh, the end of October. Okay. Kind of, uh, okay, crowds you guys get out of your races? Uh, and size-wise, I'm talking the, the the amount of people. Yeah, yeah. So in Canada, we like the uh, last weekend. Uh, I I won the, the the race, which so it was good for me. And yeah, uh, yeah thanks. <laughs> and we had uh, around two thousand people in the stands. And in the U.S., it's kind of way bigger. We have around like six thousand people in the stands, and uh, that are looking. Uh, yeah. Hey Tommy, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a break uh, right away. We're gonna take our first break, but before we get there, I have one last question for you. What's your daily driver? What do you drive every day? Like when you're going to the grocery store? Please say Santa Fe, Hyundai Santa Fe. So you would like to hear it, Toyota Echo, huh? <laughs> no, <laughs> no uh, my daily drive is actually a 350Z. So it's. Uh, kind of built for a street and racetrack but i don't drift in the street don't worry but uh, yeah i like a to any that. any speeding tickets uh maybe one maybe one or two but <laughs> hold on not more <laughs> tommy just between us this is completely private nobody's listening <laughs> do you drift your car on the streets no <laughs> come on no, no that's something i really don't really don't want to do because you know uh a lot of people are following me in the in the small drift community and like young drivers like me. So if I start doing this in the street, I don't really give the good example. And I also have a good sponsorship behind me that support me, a good companies. So I really don't want to disappoint them. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, listen, we're going to go to our first break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more conversation with our guest, Tommy Lemaire. Uh, but we'll be right back after this message from CameraEasy.ca. El Nino's The Tornado Hunters Podcast is brought to you by CameraEasy.ca. Anyone can take great photos. I know because I've taught thousands of people how to use their fancy digital cameras. I make it simple and easy to understand so that even a pure beginner can get the most out of their camera. So if you want better pictures starting today, check out CameraEasy.ca. And now it's time for the Camera Easy 30 Seconds to Better Photos. Here's my tip of the week. The tripod. Yeah, the tripod. Use your tripod far more than you are right now. And if you don't own one, the tripod for 100 bucks or 200 bucks is probably the best bang for your buck for any photographer. The tripod gives you the opportunity to uh, use uh, lower ISOs, better quality. It, it gives you an opportunity to use a little bit smaller apertures, sharper images, and overall, you end up with just better photos all around. Now, obviously, some subjects, some things you can't actually use a tripod for, but when you're shooting landscapes and skies and things like this, anytime you can use a tripod, it will make your photos that much better. We're back on the El Nino's Tornado Hunters podcast with our guest, Tommy Lemaire. He's a drift car racer. He tries to get as close to the wall without doing damage to his car. Tommy, what does that car, like, what does it run? Like, well, like what, what do these cars cost to, to keep it on the road? Uh, it's uh, very expensive, but as any motorsport, it's always expensive. 
but for our cars, we really need to always be like um, perfect with the engine, perfect with the car. Because if we something is not uh, perfect with the the car, we we can just hit the walls and injured ourselves. So it's very important to be to do a good maintenance uh, on it. But uh, I will say to build a, a drift car on a professional series, it costs around one hundred thousand uh, dollars, and uh, like to to do a, a season, I would say it's around uh, like fifty thousand uh, dollars because of the, the of the tires. It costs a lot, and also like the, just the gasoline. We don't use a normal gasoline; we use a ethanol. Uh, I think on your side of the country, it's a bit more normal uh, ethanol, but uh, for for us, we don't have this normally, and uh, also. Um, we have to swap the clutch, swap the transmission at the uh, at the half of the season. So it's a lot of maintenance, but at the end, it's uh, it's super fun. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, I can imagine be a budget. You know, on that <clears throat> on that note, uh, how do you make it happen? Like, is this your full time gig, Tommy? Um, how's it all work to like to be able to fund this and your lifestyle and everything that comes with it? So I I don't want to stop uh, drifting in competition because my uh, my main uh, like source of uh, re uh, revenue is um, uh, income sorry is uh, my drift academy. So uh, on North uh, North Shore of uh, Montreal in Mirabelle, I have a drift academy that I I teach people how to uh, how to uh, learn drifting. So uh, uh, if you're a new learner, a beginner, you want to start drifting, I can teach you. And if you're a pro driver and just want to improve your skills, I can also do that. So that's what I do. And in competition, it gives me a good visibility for my Drift Academy. So that's why I, I, I do the competition and that's why I also do the Drift Academy. So both helps help me to, uh, to just keep going and, uh, and realize my, my dream. <laughs> For sure. That's an amazing story. You know, um, as you're chatting, it's super cool. I, I really admire the, uh, the professional drivers and the work that you guys do. I actually just finished watching the Formula One on Netflix, that series. And that was super cool. And uh, I, I get a kick out of it that when we do interviews, like as a, for our tornado hunters, the storm chasing team, they, you know, they talk to Greg about his photography and Chris about whatever Chris does. And then they talk to me about, <laughs> they talk to me about being a professional driver. And they're like, Hey, Ricky, like, what does it take to be a professional driver? Well, if they knew the story is that when I showed up, I didn't know how to read weather. I couldn't operate a camera. I just had a license. And that's <laughs> it. So <laughs> sometimes we do interviews. It feels like they're comparing me, like me to you. And it's like, no, 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 no. I just, I was just there. <laughs> yeah. No specific training. <laughs> None at all. No. So Tommy, like your hand eye coordination has got to be insane. Like, uh, have you ever been tested for that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, so uh, for, to have our license in the U.S., we need uh, that kind of ability. So with the like the the doctor at the, every beginning of the season, we have uh, some tests to uh, to run, and uh, if we don't do it well, we can't compete. So we really have to uh, be uh, uh, on point and uh, like uh, uh, super uh, super quick for the, the the reflex. Yeah, so like in in storm chasing, right? Like we make a lot of like calculated last minute decisions. Like, yeah, that storm looks good. Let's drop here. Let's do this. You know, it's kind of like uh, as Greg likes to say, bird in hand kind of situation. But it also is you know calculated decisions. So when you're out there chasing, I mean, uh, uh, racing, I'm sure it's a lot of the same stuff, right? Like, like you said, like when you're in the chase mode of of yeah. the other vehicle, like if that person makes a mistake, you got to quickly adapt and get behind that person so i can see a lot of correlation they're obviously a, a little bit different but uh you know say it's kind of the same stuff yeah you're totally right and even like uh, when you say i'm i'm a chaser like in racing i chase the lead driver and you chase the storm so it's a it's a kind of the, the same in that way and we really really need to be uh on point as you said to adapt our, our driving. So if the guy be, be uh, in front of us, do a change with his uh, driving still, uh, we have to adapt this. And also when you're, uh, I'm in the, in the lead driver, so the, in the front, I really have to, uh, to know my car, to know the physics of the car. Because if I do something a little bit wrong, uh, I hit the wall, the front smash the wall, and I can just total uh, the car in like two seconds. So it's, it's very important to be uh, on point with that. 
Hey, uh, Cubby, can you mute uh, Ricky's mic just for a second for this next question? Just mute uh, mute Ricky, please, uh, Cubby. There we go. So, Tommy, listen, uh, you said that the drift racing circuit is sort of uh, summer-fall, right? Well, the tornado season is primarily spring and early summer, and... I really think we could use someone with your skills as a driver during tornado season. Would you be interested in driving the tornado hunter truck? Yeah, Ricky's not here anymore, so I'll consider it. I'll consider it. I think you can have an advantage on the storm. (laughs) Sorry, Ricky. I got a big question actually for Tommy before we we, uh, get close to closing this up. Tommy, you're playing with fire with what you're doing. What has been your closest call, scariest moment? Yeah, so during a competition, I will say is uh, we always play with the fire because we're always going super close to the wall. I will say it's um, in uh, New Jersey a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it, it, it happens like uh, just the last, the last race in the U.S. It, it's a big figure eight, the, the track. And we have like walls outside of each bank. Like we have a big bank to, to, to drift and there's big walls. I, I normally, I really control my car as I want to do it. But this, this weekend the, in New Jersey, we had uh, like rain and dry and rain and dry. So it was not very constant. So I was uh, like not really on point. So my spotter, cause we have a guy um, that call, uh, that uh, call, all the track is on the track in my in my ears so they told me okay uh, go faster go slower or do that kind of stuff so it was like tell me you're, you're off the wall you're not that you're not close enough you have to be a, a bit closer so i was like okay i'm gonna try it i'm gonna try it and each run after each run i was trying to go closer but i was like man i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the wall at some point so in the top 32 to win the race uh, no sorry top 16 to win the race we were uh, i had one more time which means uh, when I race, if the judges can te- can tell if I'm good or not, or like if the other driver is good or not to pass, we do it one more time. So we do it again. So I was like on the edge of passing or no. So I just went for it uh, on my second run. I went like super close to the wall. And when you go like too much with your car, you, you have to control the, the, the grip of the front and the rear. So the rear, you want to lose the grip, but the front, you always want to keep the, the, the front grip. So because I threw it a little bit too hard, close the wall, my front grip just left. So it wiped out a little bit, the car super close to the wall. So at this point I was like, okay, I'm going to hit the wall. It's done. It, it, it's done for me. But with just a, a small clutch kick, I managed to uh, bring more wheel spin in the rear wheels. So the car just keep going and I finished the lap like that. So that, uh, that was enough to pass. And I did not hit the wall, but it was super close. My spotter told me, okay, and I was sure you, you, you were gone and yeah, the car was gone, but uh, I managed to save it. So I think that was a close, uh, close call. <laughs> Do you ever get any fights with the, uh, with the spotter? <laughs> Uh, no, I hope that if I have a fight, maybe he's not going to be there the next race. <laughs> he's like, Tommy, go, go, go. You're like, I am. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that reminds me something. It was a long time ago. I, I think I was 17 years old. I, it was my second year in drifting. And uh, I, it was a local, local track here in, in my hometown. And my, my, my car catch on fire. So the, the fuel cell where we put the, the gasoline just like broke or open the, the the it opens so it went on my my exhaust so the car just catch on fire and my spotter while i was doing my my uh, my run told me tell me you're in fire you're in fire so i in my head i was like yeah i'm in fire that's a very good <laughs> run so i just for yeah. it i i finished the run and i was super happy and at the end he was like stop stop you're in fire for real so i was like oh my god okay yeah i know <laughs> yeah, I got the car super quickly. I took the uh, uh, the fire extinguisher. We we uh, we um, removed the fire. And a good thing also is the other driver. He was behind me. He saw my car on fire. So as soon as I stopped, he also got get out of his car to help me uh, remove the fire. So it was a good ending. But like on the on the at the moment, I was like, oof, 
I'm on fire. That's super good. Man, the car is very great. And he was like, no, 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 you're on fire. Stop the car. Stop the car. So, um, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> that's a good story. Yeah, that's a great story. Hey, uh, Tommy, um, I don't know if you know too much about um, storm chasing, but we've had some close calls in the past as well. So, Cubby, I'm going to go to you first because you've got the most experience out of all of us when it comes to storm chasing. But, um, What's your close call? Like, what's the one that stands out for you besides El Reno? Well, let's let's leave El Reno out of it. What other close calls have you had? I'd say probably my number one close call would definitely have to be. Uh, it was in Kearney, no, west of Kearney, uh, Nebraska. There, one of the very first intercepts when I was back on the old team, and. Uh, it was the date they hit the dog food plant, too. I don't know if you remember that day, Greg. Mm -hmm. Tim Samaris was right there as well, chasing. Anyway, our goal that day was to get right inside the tornado. We got in perfect position on a, on a north-south road. Tornado was coming right at us. And then last minute, I'm like, okay, this is not good. We got to go. And then uh, my other chasing partner at the time was just like, we're in it. We're in it. Look around. We're in it. And then... <laughs> Next thing you know, windows implode inward on us. So I got I almost lost my ear. My ear was severed by a piece of glass. It was just kind of dangling there. And then the other chase guy, he had it cut up around his eyes pretty bad. So it was that was a that was definitely a scary moment for me. Nick? All of my uh scariest moments come from driving. And uh like I think last year. You and I almost, uh, I almost ran us off the road two times. You remember in, when we were chasing that storm uh, by Roblin there, or Bertle, I guess it was, and we were going down that grid road that just ended out of nowhere, and oh. I had to take that, <laughs> that hard right to not go into the canola field. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that is always the scariest, or like when you're win when you don't replace your windshield wipers for years, and then you can't see when it's hailing or raining. Stuff like that is way. Uh, way closer calls. I've had close calls with storms, but it's always like driving other drivers, like driving Tommy. I don't know if you know this, but driving is actually pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ricky, well, what about you? Yeah. You know, it was, um, it was last week and it's hard to talk about it. Um, the last week we were, uh, we were out and the sun was shining <laughs> and this rainstorm was rapidly coming our way, but then it dissipated. Uh, but it was a very close call. Uh, no, you know what? If it's not Alreno, then it's uh, I can't. <clears throat> it was a midnight chase. Well, you can, you can talk we, about Alreno too. I don't care. Oh no, I, I, I'll talk about it. What, what was uh, where, was it? Kansas? Uh, that remember? Oh, that, Plains, that Kansas. Yeah, yeah, Plains, Kansas. And uh, <clears throat> long and short of it is, we uh, there was a tornado on the ground. We could see it through lightning bolts. It was way off in the distance, and uh, our radar stopped updating, so we weren't quite sure where it is. It's dark out, and it's really spooky chasing at night. Uh, and so I laughed because I would almost say um, it borderlines on being stupid uh, because it's very dangerous. And if you're not having an updated radar, well, then you're just you're seeing this monster every time there's a lightning bolt, and it feels like you're watching like a scary movie in a sense. And uh, yeah, then all of a sudden, there was a town in front of us, Plains, and um, I, I'm not sure how big the town is. I would guess it looks like it's a town of like 10,000-ish, and uh, all of a sudden, all the lights went off in the town. We all, sorry, we all have this story, but I'm telling it for us, and uh, all the lights go off in Plains, and then all of a sudden, the winds change. We were sitting in the truck, and we're sitting on the side of the road, and the winds change, and when the winds change, you know, if, you, if you've been storm chasing, the winds change, you're too close and uh that's when the the wind started to cycle from behind us and uh, it started to drag our truck down the highway into this tornado and uh you can't turn like we were we had our nose going towards it and you can't turn around because if you do turn around you put your truck sideways or your vehicle you're going to get rolled over and then it becomes much more dangerous we had to keep the truck nose into this tornado it started dragging us in and i had the truck in four-wheel drive pinned it and it was still dragging us in, sorry, pinned it in reverse, not towards it, pinned it in reverse. And it was still dragging us into the tornado while uh, we're going reverse. You could smell the rubber burning and it's dark out and now it's chaos because all these winds and dust and debris flying by. And we feel like we're on the edge of this tornado. We weren't, but it sure felt like that the way it was sucking in uh, the winds. 
And, uh, you know, it felt like a lifetime. I, I don't even know how long it was. I was maybe probably 30 seconds, a minute. And then, uh, and then yeah, at the most, at the yeah, most for sure. And, uh, and then once we stopped and we got our bearings, uh, I'll never forget looking over and seeing that the lights were on in planes. And I thought that's really odd because we've seen it before where a tornado will hit a, a tra- power transformer and knock out the power to a suburb or a city, whatever it may be. And we assume that's what happened, but all the lights were on. And then we connected the dots that that tornado was between us and planes. And that tornado was so big that it blotted out the city, the a city of 10, 15,000 people. All the lights were out because that the city, was the big. city gets bigger. Every time you tell this story, yeah, yeah. there's 1100 people. In yeah. <laughs> Is it really? Is that the population? Yeah, uh, that, that's my uh, that, that's my guess. I mean, I oh, I thought you looked it up. I don't know how big it is, but it felt like it was that big. Nonetheless, yeah. that tornado was massive. It had to be a half a kilometer, three quarters of a kilometer wide to to fully blot it out. Anyways, it was just really terrifying how close we were, and I was all in the dark and we had no idea. So, so there really Tommy, are there oh. really are a lot of big fish stories in storm chasing, hey? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Big, Everything's oh, a wedge. Yeah. Wedge tornado. Everything's yeah, yeah. wedge. So listen, Tommy, I uh I also have a, a few tornado stories, close calls and stuff, but when you talk about the scariest Ricky, stop that. When you talk about the scariest uh driving conditions, you know, you grew up in Quebec. Um winter driving, and, and for me, one of the scariest uh times i've ever had was about 20 years ago uh getting a flat tire on a rural road in the middle of saskatchewan in january in the middle of the night and no other vehicles around and it's like it's terrifying because it's minus 35 out what what about winter driving do you ever do you ever you know snow and ice drifting must be just a ton of fun for you yeah, well, at, uh, at, at the iCar circuit where I do my drift academy, we also have an ice circuit during the winter. So we have a lot of fun over there. We do a uh, rural drive drifting, but also all-wood drive drifting. So we, we spend a lot of time over there and uh, just having fun, having a blast with all the, all the friends. Um, but I never really had like big issues on the normal road uh, during winter. But I have to say, um when it's winter time uh, it's like late in the night I, I go back home from work sometimes i i i, I like i like to have a, a small fun <laughs> <laughs> i knew but, it but yeah well, i i always try to make sure it's uh, like late at night and there's no nobody in the under on the, on the, on the street but uh yeah for sure we we try to do all all, all that kind of stuff uh, at the racetrack on the high surface uh, surface it's a lot of fun, and uh, if we hit something, it's just a snowbank, so it's uh, a little bit less dangerous. <laughs> right on. Uh, Nick, you wanted to queue up a couple videos here uh, for Tommy. What are we going to be looking at? Yeah, well, I've got two weather videos, but before um, before we do that, I just wanted to show just some quick footage from Tommy's uh, uh, last race here, if I could. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Here it is. And uh That's he's Montreal. In green, he's in the green car there. You can see coming down the road. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Wow, he's got good form Tommy, there. That is amazing. So, perfect parking. Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Here's is this guy the chaser? He's chasing, that's, right? That's, uh, yeah, that's Austin. Oh. There. Yeah, so he's disqualified because he, he overpassed me. <laughs> <laughs> So for those listening to the podcast, <laughs> Nick has pulled up a quality video of uh, some city here getting a snowfall and drivers having a difficult time. Yeah, this is uh, this is actually a weather video. This is Montreal and appropriate that we show this video today to Tommy. Like, uh, obviously, this was a, this was in 2016, Tommy. I don't know if you were around Montreal at that point. I'm sure you were. Can you, do you have firsthand experience? Yeah, about I, I, this, I, re- I remember this. Uh, I remember this video when they up- uploaded. It was all over uh, my Facebook. <laughs> people were laughing uh, for sure uh, for the, the cups. But uh, yeah, people were like, oh, that's. That's super dangerous. Stay at home. But I was like, okay, good. So I'm going to go out to work and uh, I'm going to just relax. <laughs> so what's now, it like in the wintertime uh... out there? Is it like, <laughs> it's not as cold as it is out here, is it? In the winter? I I think it's, but I don't know about you, but for us, I think it's it's super cold. <laughs> uh, and we have like a lot of snow. 
But uh, the thing is for us, sometimes there's a lot of snow and after like two days, it's uh, sunny and we see the, the, the grass. Oh, so yeah. it's like hot, cold, hot, cold. It's kind of, kind of weird. So, so uh, Tommy, when you're in, um, uh, when, when you're in Quebec in the winter, does, I think, is it a law that you have to have studded winter tires in Quebec? Uh, not studded tires, but it's a law that we have. Uh, we need to have winter tires. Right. Uh, the studded tires is an option that I recommend. But sometimes people uh, in the in the city, they are uh, they, there's so much salt on the on the on the ground that they don't really need that. They just need the the winter tires. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I wanted. I got a second video here just to cue up another uh, little drift video. This is much more recent. This is. Uh, this is in Flagstaff, Arizona. That's the capital city. Oh, this was Boy, just a uh, couple weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, they had some flash flooding there. Of course, it's been dry and hot as it often is down there. And then, of course, monsoon season kicks in. And so uh, this is a Toyota Prius oh. doing a little oh. drifting of its own. <laughs> wow. Now, Tommy, would when you've got a Prius doing that type of drifting, would you, um, uh, you know, Prius maybe, maybe more so a Tesla, would you call that an electric slide? Yeah, yeah, but I, you see, he's a little bit too much reverse, so I, I will give him a deduction point right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, very good. Uh, and then, uh, finally, wait, 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 Nick, 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 no, hold on, just back up. Are you, did you just say electric slide? Isn't that like a dance move? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the joke. Can you show us the move right now? So, do I actually, it. Uh, show us the move. I, show us, I actually, show us am the move. Not... Show us. <laughs> We'll just move on to the uh, <laughs> final video here. You want uh, to make this the joke? Is... You have to finish it. <laughs> Come on, do it. I am not. I am not going to get beaked by the guest on my own damn show. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Now, uh, this is uh, another one a little closer to your uh, home. There, Tommy. Now we queued up a video on this one a, about eight weeks ago. I want to say um, early in tornado season um, with another guest, but this is a different angle of the. Uh, the uh, tornado in uh, that happened um, in oh, yeah. Quebec in uh, late June. Yeah, in outside Montreal. Yeah, Mascouche. Yeah, Mascouche. Yeah, we uh, my gazebo uh, went away uh, that night. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Really, you lost your gazebos. Uh, so, um, was that just due to straight line uh, winds, powerful winds coming through? Uh, well, as I said, I'm on the side of a river, so we have a lot of wind coming toward us. The the tree just fall uh, like oh. the, the break so it uh, it fall on my uh, on my roof and also on the gazebo so the gazebo is, is gone and i had uh, some uh, some stuff with my roof uh, that broke that break <laughs> wow you're the second you're the second guest in a row that has had his uh, or her house um, destroyed by a falling tree what is going yeah. on yeah, so this we don't really uh, have tornado. trees out here in Saskatchewan, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, not so much a not so much an issue here, but yeah, this is this is the opposite of storm chasing. This is when the storm chases you. Yeah, I, I saw this video. It's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Uh, it's hard to believe that it, it happens uh, like in our our city in our area. We always for us normal people, we always think it's like far away in the U.S. or somewhere we don't live. But uh, yeah, that was scary. <laughs> they had one in yeah. Gatineau uh, last year as well. Yeah, also, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. Well, listen, uh, Nick, is that all the videos or you got any more queued up? That's all I got for today. All right, well, let's take that opportunity then. We'll go to our second and our last break. Uh, this is going to give us a chance to check in with a meteorologist from the Weather Network, Brad Russo, on a new segment we call Ask the Meteorologist. And we'll be right back. They always get the forecast right, and we love their giant brains. It's time for Ask the Meteorologist. But like us, like chasing down the states, you know, we're looking at Pivotal and we're looking at all these different, uh, you know, programs or, or apps that we can use to kind of figure out the weather. Like in Canada, you know, trying to forecast in Canada, like Nick was saying, you know, once you get past in, it's almost impossible as far as the models go. So is there anything that you can uh, kind of suggest that might be better for Canadian chasers to look at when we're chasing a little uh, farther north than like what the American models will reach? 
the Canadian model, if you ever use the gem, I mean, people like the crap all over the gem, but it's actually a pretty reliable model. It does a half decent job. But the biggest thing would be um, un to understand your basic meteorological principles. And most, the, most people who are chasers have a good basic foundation as to, you know, what they're looking at. And then from there, just keep, just, you got to kind of build up a memory or, or build up a kind of a catalog of, okay, th this is what happened during this event. And then you start to build up pattern recognition. So a lot of my forecasting is, I, I'm not really relying on the model per se. The model kind of directs me as to where I should be looking or kind of what I can anticipate. But I kind of tend to rely more so on my pattern recognition to know, okay, in this situation, I know this model is handling it well, so I can go more with that or a, a blend of these models. And I, I getting more of an understanding of kind of interpreting the upper air patterns because there's less noise in the upper air, right? The higher up you go, there's less influence, right? You, you don't have to worry about friction from land and all, and all that jazz. So models tend to behave a little bit better as you go higher up in the atmosphere. So if you get, interpret the upper atmosphere and then from there kind of build your conceptual model as to what should be going at the surface, that's kind of how you kind of build up a forecast that way. All right, welcome back to El Nino's, the Tornado Hunters podcast. And that was Brad Russo giving us our Ask the Meteorologist segment. And that was a lot of fun. I'm glad uh, we're uh, we're starting that. And I think Brad's going to be with us now uh, pretty much every show. So uh, listen, Tommy, we want to wrap up our, our interview with you, which, by the way, man, really, really great story. Hard to believe that you're 23 years old. Um, I, I think I speak for all of us when I say like you're far, sound far more mature than, well, definitely the four of us. Um, but uh, uh, no, it's, it's great to see how much you've done in such a, a short period of time. So that is, uh, that's pretty cool. But listen, when we, we think about athletes uh, and we think about the province of Quebec, Qu Quebec has produced some incredible uh, athletes over the years. Now, listen, hockey's a big deal in Quebec. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But the little trivia game we're going to play here is that I'm going to name a sport, and this is going to be anything but hockey, okay? No hockey in the answers here. But I'm going to give you the name of a sport, and I want you to tell me who the uh, most famous Quebecer uh, in that sport has been okay. So we're going to test your Quebec sports knowledge. You ready for this? Yes. <laughs> uh, listen, El Nino's for you guys. If uh, Tommy can't get the answer right, you're going to feel free to chime in. Okay. So uh, we'll almost make this like a team effort. It'll be Tommy versus the rest of the, well it's kind of like quebec versus the rest of the country too right so uh, I, I think the rest of the country uh, will uh, will have a good chance to win here oh <laughs> uh, come on tom okay so first of all i'm going to start with one that has been in the news actually over the last week uh for this gentleman's contribution to his community and he's an nfl football player nfl football player from quebec uh, Nicolas Vernois. Nope. 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 Uh, Any other guess? Duvernier Tardif. That's the, the one. Yeah. Laurent du Duvernier Tardif. Yeah. He was uh, voted by the uh, NFL as the. Um, uh, Nick, help me out. What's, what was the, the award he was given? A humanitarian award. Yeah, he's a doctor, yeah, yeah. he's a fisherman, he's a player, he's a, right. he's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually took... He's also a, a, he's also a Pisces. <laughs> he, That's great, he took, he took the year off in the NFL so that he could do medical work uh, in his home province of Quebec. Uh, he took a year off in the NFL to work with COVID patients and in the... Uh, uh, working in uh, the medical field, so that's pretty cool. So and you who got is this guy, Laurent Duvernay Tardif. What is team? that pretty good? 
Kansas City Chiefs. He was a Super Bowl champion. He's a kicker? No, he's an offensive lineman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Big boy. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, uh, number two. You, if you if you don't get this one right, Tommy, we're just not going to trust anything that you've said over the last hour. Okay? <laughs> IndyCar racing. IndyCar racing. Oh, boy. Uh, IndyCar racing. Uh, I will go with... Uh, well, I will say Andrew Langer, but no, no, that's not the one. Huh? In the Come car, on. Villeneuve. One, he, he, what's that? Villeneuve. No, no, no. In, in Villeneuve was uh, Formula One. <laughs> Formula One, yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, come on, in Patrick Pat Carpentier. Carpentier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. He, I think he won. He won in the uh, circuit one year, mid nineties. That's a good question. I, I know he was with uh, the play uh, players affiliate, uh, uh, like the team. Correct. The players. I know that, but I forgot. I forgot his name uh, for a moment. Okay, number three. He's a baseball pitcher. Baseball pitcher played for the Dodgers. He set the all-time record for most consecutive saves in Major League Baseball history. 84 games without a loss. I have no clue. <laughs> he, he also wore number 38, I believe, if that helps. Who is it, Nick? It's Eric Gagné. Eric Gagné, that's correct. Okay, so now this... So Nick, I see that you're looking at your screen. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would love to show you what I'm looking at right now, can I? I'm going sh to share the screen because this is perfect timing. I'm wondering where I can get this poster. <laughs> if that isn't the most famous athlete or best looking athlete from Quebec, I don't know what I don't know what to tell you. Like that is one slick looking dude. How old are you in that picture, Tommy? Uh 17. Whoa. What is, is that like your, is that your tap dancing outfit? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Next one. Now this one, this one. Is gonna go old school. I don't know. This might be you're I forgot you're 23. This guy was probably done, but pro wrestling. Pro wrestling. Who was the most famous pro wrestler? And he was on the he was on the A circuit, did WWF back in the day. Hulk so Hogan? So no. here, here you'll have to educate me. What's a wrestler <laughs> wrestling? <laughs> anyway, his name was Mad Dog Vachon. You guys don't know Mad Dog Vashon? Oh what about God. Dino Bravo or Earthquake? Like those guys were from Quebec. Really? Get off Google, of Nick. You're cheating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, Tommy. Long track speed skating, Olympic long track speed skating. Famous Quebec athlete, won gold medals uh, for Canada. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure. I, I remember. Gaetan? Gaetan, Gaetan. Yeah, I don't remember, but... Gaetan Boucher. Gaetan Boucher. Almost. All right. Olympic Olympics biathlon. Winter Olympics biathlon. Shooting and skiing. She's from Quebec. You really? you spend too much time in a race car, Tommy. Well, honestly, I, it's hard for me to tell, like, all the names of the, the competitor that I have in my series, my own series, so... <laughs> 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 Miriam Bedard. Okay, now this one's the last one is a very tough one. The number one from Quebec, the number one Formula Drift pro racer uh, from Quebec ever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough one. I'll try. Uh, I'll try Lemaire. Uh, Lemaire. Right. Correct. <laughs> hey yo. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. Well, listen, Tommy, we had a ton of fun tonight. Uh, I think, I, again, I speak for all the guys in that uh, you were a real pleasure as a guest. And, uh, uh, you know, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, thanks for putting up with Ricky and Cubby and Nick and myself. Um, how can people follow your journey? Where can they find you? Uh, I post a lot of stuff on my Instagram, on uh, Tommy.Lemaire. Uh, and also on my Facebook, uh, it's uh, my Drift Academy. It's a TLO Drift School. 
And uh, this is where you can see my result, uh, my drift videos, and also uh, what we do at the Drift Academy. And can uh, for the Drift Academy, can people that just maybe they bought a brand new BMW and they just want to learn to drive it, is that a good place? Uh, or is this more for people that want to get into racing? No, it's like for just people who want to have fun and learn about this sport. And the good thing is you don't need to buy a brand new BMW. You can just buy a package and I give you the car. I give you the helmet, the racing suit, everything. And you can just come at the drift school and have fun. Uh, you can check out, go to tornadohunter.com and you can check out uh, all of the El Nino's, the Tornado Hunters podcast, all of our past episodes, including uh, our previous guest, Kelly Taylor, who is episode, I believe, six. But anyway, check out uh, check out Kelly Taylor's show. They're all on tornadohunter.com. Uh, uh, again, if you would like to subscribe to the show, check check out Stormfront Freaks Podcast Network on any uh, podcast app, and you can uh, get El Nino's one week, Stormfront Freaks on the opposite week. And uh, again, for Ricky Forbes, for Cubby, for Nick the Body, I'm Greggles, and thank you for tuning in. Hey, Tommy, have you seen uh, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, there's a character in there uh, from France, right? Like he's a French character. With a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you ever get uh, compared with that guy? Uh, no. <laughs> Well, you just I, did. Now you do. <laughs> Can you do your best I, I imitation?